0: Okay, here we go. The Planet, Planet Mikey Show. He's about to get crazy and wild. Stay for a while. Don't touch your radio dial. The Planet, Planet Mikey Show. Kicking it back, sports talk. Listen to that and stay tuned for some giggles and last Go. <laughs> 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 Welcome to the Planet Mikey Show. It's episode seventy-three of the Planet Mikey podcast, churning out thoughtful yet inane content with no regard for the serious nature of the world's problems. Callous? Yes. Disrespectful? Oh, yes. Sophomoric? Yes. But remember, Mark Twain once said, it's easier to fool someone than to convince them that they've been fooled. I'm Peter Puller, proud union staff announcer, along with Bill Smith, world record holder, for recorded commercials in a broadcast setting requested by sales weasels who truly don't give a shit about anything except money. And Ben Kitchen, whose last resume credit is a YouTube video of the actual putting back of toothpaste into the actual tube from which it came, using a chopstick and 12 diet pills. Hey, don't laugh. It got 31 views. And the unforgettable Mikey Adams, who is unforgettable by most who've met him, not because he's good-looking or charming, but because he owes them all money. Now, tonight's podcast guest is veteran crime and investigative reporter, author, screenwriter, all around great gal, Michelle McPhee, live from LA. And here's Mikey. Oh, that was great. This, uh, he's getting better. Well, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this. My voice, I've uh, ingested <laughs> some helium tonight, and Jesus, am I high. I'm floating above <laughs> the crowd here. <laughs> Hi, how's the weather down there? <laughs> okay. Get oh, it's starting. There, oh, my voice is coming back. Come down on, now. Now. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Oh, that—that that was scary. We have Michelle McPhee with us. Hi, Ben. Hi, Mike. Hi, Bill.
1: Hey. Hi, Michelle. Hey, guys. What an intro! I'm loving this.
0: Well, <laughs> it's kind of LA, you know. It's. Uh... It's
1: very LA. That's exactly what I was thinking. How is the LA? It's kind of shining brightly here. Um, I literally just waited in line for an hour and fifteen minutes. Yeah to buy bread at the store, and watched as this guy pretended to be blind, like he had one of the blind sticks, <laughs> to, to cut the line. It was so phenomenal. Oh. I let him cut. Oh, People you were t- protesting. That was the worst part of it. Like, what if he really was blind? Nobody was going to let him cut.
0: Well, then he would serve serve him right for scamming everybody and cutting lines. But at- you
1: couldn't really tell, Mike. He was one of those things. It's was like, it's, I don't know. Yeah. Like, like, he's. it is L.A. Everyone's an actor. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he played it off. Well, I pulled and something. No one let him cut. It was very interesting.
0: I pulled something like that at a Fenway Park line when I was drunk. Uh, I, I really feel bad about this now, but it was a long line for beer. And I, I said, I, I just went to the back of the line and I said, Excuse me. Excuse uh-huh. me. And they let me toward the front of the line, and I was stumbled toward the front line. I said, I got to the front of the line, I said, Two beers, please. And they gave me the beer. And after I got in, he took my money. I said, Okay, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and everybody started giving me the finger in the line and calling me an asshole, and that's right. which they were, and they had a point. So, but you're in LA, and you because you're, and you moved. I, I got to still get to the bottom of this. You moved because. Your creative juices took you there in a new venture. You're going to be screenwriting, and there's movies out there, right?
1: That's exactly right. So, you know, I was working for City on a Hill, which I love. Um, Last year, I wrote episode five and introduced a reporter character who may or may not have been pushed down the stairs by an angry FBI agent. (laughs) That's not too close to home at all.
0: (laughs) Right, right. Yeah, so that's the story. Uh, but- that's
1: the story. And then this year I'm working on the show as a consultant because I'm out here in La La Land writing a pilot for HBO about MS-13.
0: Oh, okay. Jeez, ah. that's it. That's and that's, you're all into that topic big in a big way because of the obvious creepiness of that band of uh, of lunatics.
1: Well, remember, I'm from East Boston. I still have my place there. I'm never giving it up. Yeah. And East Boston is sort of the epicenter of MS-13 on the East Coast. Mm-hmm. And as luck would have it, all of the cops, the task force agents, the amazing task force agents on the North Shore Gang Task Force, the FBI agents and local cops and stateies, they laugh so hard. when I'm like, I just got a little house. It's awesome. It's, <laughs> it's that blah, 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 blah. And I gave them my address and they went, Oh, McPhee, you're going to thrive there. (laughs) It is literally MS-13 ground zero in the whole world. This is where it all started, about a block away from my house. Today I was leaving, and there's MS-13 graffiti all over the wall in front of my house. I immediately almost started to cry, thinking they found me. (laughs) Oh, please
0: don't say that. Now, you, you have LTC, right? Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, I was going to say. At in least California, you got that- though, I
1: have to transfer it. So here I'm relying on mace and in, in EC mean mugs, pretty much. Yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you'll, I'm sure you'll be fine because you are what they call a tough cookie, my love.
1: Well, thank you. I'll take that as the ultimate compliment.
0: Absolutely. Now, w- w- while we miss you here in Boston, because obviously you were plugged in for so long to all the different things going on around here. Now, on Twitter, uh, to your credit... You're keeping up with everything. I follow you. I've been following you for years. In fact, you may you may have noticed me on your street one day, uh, back. No, but the thing is that you was that
1: you in that long raincoat.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that was me. I got to admit it now. But the thing is that the reason I'm happy to have you on tonight is that you uh, you tweeted about the fact that it was uh, seven years ago today that the uh, the marathon bombing was pulled off, and you've been maybe the most plugged-in person to that story uh, ever.
1: Well, thank you for that. I mean, look, as somebody who was on the ground on that terrible morning of September 11th, when, you know, 343 firefighters, 23 NYPD cops, and 37 Port Authority police officers, among them many of my friends, I'd been working the Civil Service feat for about, I don't know, almost a decade. Mm -hmm. And I as you start to investigate the secrets around 9-11 that continue to this day, tell me why we can't get the 28 pages from Mm -hmm. the Saudis and tell me why they're trying to protect the identity of the members of the Saudi Royal family that financed, you know, the biggest terror attack on American soil. And that shroud of secrecy, the 9-11 commission report pointed out is exactly what led us into that catastrophe in the first place. So when the Boston Marathon bombs went off, I had just moved back to Boston not too long before that. I'm on my way to meet a friend of mine at the uh, Boylston Street Firehouse. I get a text from an NYPD cop that had been standing next to me in 9-11, of all things. Mm-hmm. And he, I hope you're all right. And, I mean, then I heard the commotion. You know, yeah. I'm wa- you know how it is when you're walking through the Boston Public Garden sure. and through the Common. So I heard the commotion, and then you realize what happened. Obviously, a source snuck me into that. And I will never, ever forget that, you know, a street in Boston looked like Baghdad. It, in a lot of ways, I was at Ground Zero when the second tower fell. Uh, I was there for months afterwards. And what you saw on Royalson Street didn't exist after nine eleven 9-11 because people were sadly, you know, they, they just ev- evaporated when the towers came down. There wasn't like the gore and the missing body parts and the puzzle pieces of our of legs right. that we saw all over Oil industry. It was just different. Like there wasn't the the bloodletting. Obviously, two thousand no. <laughs> and you know nine hundred people died that morning in New York, but you didn't see the same sort of thing.
0: Right. You, you now, with the exception maybe of the people jumping off the building, you know, and landing which on the is, sidewalk. You know, I'll never forget. Which is unbelievably brutal. But the people did. They turned to dust, and there were three thousand people, roughly. You know, that just basically, as you said, evaporated into whatever smoke and and dust and blew away. In the Boston situation, you're saying that you know it was body parts scattered around, so it looked like it looked like a bombing off.
1: It it was awful. I'll never forget it. And little kids screaming and the mayhem and mm, you know boy. trying to get ambulances and and people just the heroics. I mean, what I'd like to focus on is the heroics that day. And I saw it in motion. You know, we all know the stories about you know former Patriots players carrying victims and off-duty firefighters jumping into action, on-duty cops, off-duty cops, volunteers, like, you know, the doctor who had just run the race, who then ran to Mass General to to perform surgeries. Like, yeah. the way Boston came together into Boston Strong is what I really always like to take from that day. But the other thing that started to bother me as I investigated this is, the secrecy that was swirling around the FBI and what they did or did not know about Tamlin's and
0: Right. And that's where you are different from many because, and you continue to ask questions, not just about 9-11, but about the marathon bombing in Boston. You ask the questions that don't get answered and you keep asking them over and over again. And that's what makes you different. Other people seem to have let some of that stuff lie, Michelle, and you're not about to do that.
1: Well, that's what's so crazy and inexplicable to me is that in a place where, you know, the Boston Globe spotlight team is famous. Why are people so willing to accept the nonsense that we are getting from the federal government on this case? Let's start with this. This very small fact. I'm a reporter, Mikey. You've been a reporter. You interview a coach of a a team in 2017 as I'm sorry, in um, 2011, which we know the FBI did. The FBI opened a case. On the Zania family Mm -hmm. after the Russians, the FSB, gave us two separate warnings in 2011. Right. Saying, hey, we've intercepted some pretty scary text messages between some jihadi here. And this guy, Tamlin who lives in Cambridge. His mother's a wackadoodle, too. You might want to keep an eye on this guy. Yeah,
0: you might want to get on it and stay on it.
1: Well, the FBI goes out and visits them. They do multiple, which they, they field office visits and they... Come back with the conclusion, so they say now, that nothing to see here. He's fine. No big deal. He's related to some jihadi in Russia. He talks to them all the time. He's in touch with this well-known radical named William Platnikov, a Canadian boxer who is in the same world as Tamerlan. But don't worry about it. So the FBI wants us to believe that less than two years later, when I Zanaev bombs the marathon and we have the picture of suspect black hat and suspect white hat, yeah. no one recognized him.
0: None of the people in charge of, of you knowing...
1: interviewed him multiple, multiple, multiple times, and don't yeah. say, "Hey, isn't that isn't that, that moron we we rolled up in Cambridge?"
0: No, but they didn't. But they didn't. It's absurd. They, they either Do didn't you really buy him, that,
1: though? They didn't As want a to reporter, bring As I don't buy it.
0: Right? Well, you, because you know that if they're anything any good at their jobs at all, then somebody somewhere along that straight, chain of command had to have an idea what this guy who he was and where and why why would we be concerned, right?
1: And, remember this, you know, we bought a very expensive facial recognition software package. Yeah. And Tamlin's and I had been arrested for whacking his girlfriend and, and knocking her around because she was dressed too provocatively. So he slapped her. Well, well um, and he
0: was also involved in a, a, a drug-addled murder case, right?
1: Okay, well, this is where it gets really interesting. So the Russians warned us in March of 2011, hey, this guy, he could be very dangerous. We think he's going to come to Russia and join the jihad. And... Then in early September 2011, the FSB sends a second note, this time to the CIA. So now you have the FBI and the CIA in the United States warned about Tamerlan Zanaev. Right. They put him on two terror watch lists. That same month, September of 2011, Tamerlan Zanaev slashes the throat of his former roommate, a man that he had been seen with all over the, the boxing world, A guy named Brendan Mess, who was a very accomplished mixed martial artist. Mixed martial arts artist, right? Is that how you say it? Yeah. He's an MMA guy. So, September 11th, the 10 year anniversary of the savage attacks we just talked about, uh, we find these three guys dead. They're nearly decapitated. The two Jewish dudes were sexually mutilated. There's drugs sprinkled all over the body. There's cash left at the scene. This is not a robbery. It is the ten year anniversary of the September eleven attack.
0: Wow. And but no one no one was I mean, no one said where's where's these Russian guys?
1: No one said, Hey, where's Brendan's best friend? He didn't show up at the funeral. Oh, by the way, the last phone call that was made by the victims was to a place called Jerry's Italian kitchen. You might remember that. Do you remember when they found the fireworks? Yes. And uh, Planet Aid Dumpster, of all names, right? So right. that was Jerry's Italian Kitchen. Guess who worked as an under-the-table delivery driver at Jerry's Italian Kitchen at that time? Who? Tamlin's and I. Oh. <laughs>
0: <Okay>. <laughs> what a shock. What a
1: coincidence.
0: <laughs> did he have ties to the FBI as an informant?
1: Yeah, I would say, and this is where I'm careful. Look, you can't say he was on the FBI payroll like Whitey Baldry. He was top echelon informant, blah, 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 blah. Right. It's a more complicated... Um, Tangle of events because if you go back to 410 Norfolk Street, that building was owned by the late uh, Russian studies professor, a guy named Alexander Lipson. Alexander Lipson had ties to a guy named Ruslan Sarney. I'm sorry, uh, grandfather in Ruslan Sarney. Now, if you anybody Googles Ruslan Sarney, you'll see that he was a CIA operative working in the oil industry uh. and he was a Chechen. He was the uncle of Tamlin and Jahar. Deny I of the Marathon bombers,
0: and this thing is so dis- yeah. intertwined and
1: twisted. Right now, we'll wait. It gets better. Graham Fuller. Do a simple Google search on Graham Fuller. He was one of the highest-ranking CIA officials in the country under Ronald Reagan in several administrations. His claim to fame: arming uh, Muslim radicals against the Russians. Hmm. So he was the guy who thought it would be a good idea to give Osama bin Laden a bunch of weapons so we could fight the Russians.
0: Okay.
1: This, this is what we always did. This is his brain is set in. Let's arm, you know, radicals against the Russians. Let's use them to our, uh, to our, and it worked, I guess, until Osama bin Laden decided that it didn't. Right. Uh uh-huh. But he was still doing it. And he was the station chief. Graham Fuller was the Graham CIA Fuller, station yeah. chief. Yep. In Ankara, Turkey. Now you get a hold of the Zanayev family's immigration records. Wow. Who let them into the country? Someone in Ankara, Turkey.
0: Oh, gee, I wonder if his name is Graham Fuller. There you go, Mikey. <laughs> bingo, bingo, bingo. Oh, man. This is, a, this is a sick, twisted swamp of decadence going, covering five different countries and seven different political positions in life.
1: And to see where the complication is, whose asset was he? I'm positive he was an asset. Right. But what branch of the, what, what little acronym was he working for? Anybody's guess. I would say it was all of them.
0: Wow. Well, that. And because
1: now remember when, when Tamlin, now he's on two tar watch lists, you know, there's dead bodies all over Waltham, his buddies. He doesn't show up at the, at the funeral. In fact, the, the friends of those three MMA drug dealers are like, Hey, Tamlin didn't show up. Hey, Brendan mess used to bring Tamlin around. Hey, you know, Tamlin was teaching Brenda Mess how to box and Brenda Mess was teaching him how to, to, to do mixed martial arts. Do you think maybe you should talk to Tamlin's and I have? Nobody yeah. ever did.
0: Maybe that's a good idea, only because he's an obvious choice. Now, you're, right. you You detail this. Uh, obviously, you had two books. You had Maximum Harm 2017. Mayhem, your your latest book, is is the book where you connect these dots for people. Is that right?
1: That's right. Yep. And it's just it's it just asks additional questions. I mean, by now, Mikey, honestly, I thought this was going to be like Watergate, like people remember Watergate was started by two, you know, guys in a in a far flung bureau for The Washington Post. Yeah, they were nobodies. And they kept digging and digging and digging until finally, you know, other reporters crapped on them and said they were they were full of it. And, you know, they took a lot of heat and they were right. They were proven right. I thought by now people would be asking the very questions I am. The biggest one, of course, is the government doesn't believe that the Zenaia brothers built the bombs. There's no physical evidence tying them to the construction of the bombs. They never found where the bombs were built. So who did? Well, who did? Could it be the guy that got arrested 55 (laughs) days later at his mother's house with every component? A
0: Topsfield guy?
1: That Topsfield guy, correct.
0: Daniel Morley.
1: Morally. I'll tweet out that story right now. People can. And look, look, everything that I'm telling you and you said it, it sounds nuts, right? Like you have the CIA, the FBI, you have these ties to Chechnya, you have oil, you have all of these different components. It sounds like a made up thriller. But everything that I have in both of those books is annotated. I have for. Right. I didn't write one thing I couldn't prove.
0: You didn't just start making was, stuff up with your th- with theories and then say, and not proving them. You went out and found out stuff that backed up your theories.
1: And I had a lot of help from a lot of cops who were pissed off because in the end, the big, the, what really infuriated police officers is if the FBI knew who these guys were and everyone believes that they did, there were FBI agents all over Cambridge in the aftermath of the FBI, the infamous FBI press conference where they released the photos, there was FBI everywhere. There was a, you know, I talk about in, in both books, the high speed chase between the Cambridge police and undercover FBI agents. You know, and the FBI agents would tell the Cambridge police to bleep off and the and the Cambridge police got so mad that someone actually radioed. Someone's going to get hurt. These mother bleepers are here and someone's going to get hurt. Yeah. And someone did get hurt. If we recall, <laughs> Sean yeah. Collier was assassinated in cold blood.
0: That's right. And seven years that ago. That night. Oh, and that was on man. April
1: 18th would be the anniversary of Sean Collier's murder. And a lot of people believe that, you know, the secrecy that continues to swirl around this case Mm -hmm. led to Sean Collier's assassination.
0: So what do you what do you do at this point in time now? Seven years later, what can we all do and what can you do as an individual and uh, and as a community to get to the very bottom of this and have these questions that you've been asking answered?
1: Well, here's what I would do, to be honest. There are people who know, number one, Bill Keating, who was a very good prosecutor in Massachusetts, who's now a U.S. congressman from Massachusetts. Bill Keating went to Russia with, remember Steven Seagal with yeah. the yeah. bad mullet? Yeah. Steven Seagal took a bipartisan delegation of federal lawmakers that included Bill Keating to Russia because, and Bill Keating came back and told reporters at Logan Airport, and I was there when he did it, uh, it is astonishing to me that the Russian FSB was more cooperative with us than the FBI.
0: Wow. That's, that's a statement for you, huh? Why, and, Michelle- and
1: it's in writing everywhere. Charles Grassley, Keating, even Stephen Lynch. like People have been demanding answers from the FBI on this. The FBI has stonewalled Congress. The only way that they're going to respond to any inquiries is if Congress demands it. And if these bozos would get their heads out of their, you know, Asses. where the sun doesn't shine. Yeah, thank you. I don't know if we can say it on the podcast. Oh, are you kidding? Get- say
0: whatever you want, my love.
1: Well, listen, if these <laughs> bleeping idiots... When do their jobs? Yeah, then they should be. They, first of all, Mikey, look. Let's look at that that month, April 2013. Who quit? Bob Mueller. Now, Bob Mueller, you can tie to every disaster with the FBI, including <laughs> Whitey Buzzer.
0: <laughs> Jesus, I, I, you know, I, I never thought of it, but you're right. He's, he's... He quit in April
1: 2013. Who else quit in April 2013? I love Jerry Leone. He was a great prosecutor, but Jerry Leone mysteriously quit. His job as the uh, DA, the Middlesex County DA, in April 2013, right as I started asking him questions about the Waltham triple murder, I broke that story for ABC News that right. was tied to Camels and I.
0: This this thing is more. It has more tentacles than the JFK assassination. This story doesn't it?
1: Think about this. Now remember, Jerry Leone was a referee at Golden Gloves boxing boxing matches.
0: Uh huh. With now
1: remember who was a two time Golden Gloves champ?
0: You're right. Yep. The, the dead man.
1: The dead man, Tamalins and I. Do you see how you could go in bananas thinking, why are people asking these questions? Wow. Shannon Napolitano, the Department of Homeland Security secretary who was dragged in front of Congress, the only one who showed up, she quit after she gave this testimony because she was caught in two lies and then said she wouldn't answer any questions that weren't a classified setting.
0: M- Michelle. So now,
1: the, even Dick Dolores, the sack of the Boston field office, quit. In April 2013, you don't see that as a pattern.
0: Do you think this is a case of the FBI trying to hide their mistake or do you think there's something else going on here? that is connected to something else and they just do not want us to know about it.
1: I think it's connected to someone else and they don't want us to know about it. I listen. I don't blame people are very quick to say FBI informant. It's more complicated than that. The way it works is the CIA cannot operate on American soil. They can't run a case. So that means they have to bring in the FBI. And most of the time, they do that reluctantly, which is one of the issues on 9-11, right? They don't want to share intel.
0: But sometimes they have to.
1: So they need the FBI to keep Tamlin happy. Because think about the timeline. Tamlin goes to Russia. Everyone he meets with is tracked and killed. And he is wiretapping his family members. Because when I go on a family vacation, that's what I do. When I come back to Boston, I just wear a wire.
0: <laughs> yeah. Right?
1: So he's wiretapping his fam- His cousin that he was wiretapping ends up in jail if you you might remember, right? So he gives an interview to federal prosecutors in prison, which is where he ends up when his nephew Tamlin's and I have leaves, right?
0: Yeah.
1: And he comes back and all of a sudden, this guy who was not eligible for citizenship because he slapped that girl in the face, so he's in violation of the moral turpitude clause, he's on the fast track to citizenship,
0: Right. Of course, they didn't know about the the slashing of the throats, you know, of the other guy.
1: Oh, yeah. They didn't know that he just decapitated (laughs) three guys, um, that he had the domestic violence charge. By the way, he was a Muslim American who didn't work. It literally says on his death certificate, didn't work. Never worked. No, no. (laughs) Never worked.
0: He lived lived off the the land, you know, that's all.
1: So you're telling me that we fast-tracked an unemployed Muslim guy for citizenship all of a sudden when he comes back from a very successful operation in Russia?
0: We're talking to Michelle McPhee, live from Los Angeles, She's one of my favorite people, and maybe the most diligent crime and investigative reporter in the history of Boston. I'm telling you, because she doesn't give up. She, uh, goes, she does not give up. But, but I, get,
1: I get mad. So, that's, so that's, my EC comes out. It's not about the money. It's not about anything other than yeah. how dare you lie to our faces. And I agree. I was one of the people who cried when we pulled him off the boat and applauded the cops. Yeah. They deserve the applause. Yeah. But they also need to be held accountable for the mistakes or they're going to happen again. Remember, the Pulse nightclub shooter gave a shout out to the Marathon bombers and his wife was charged in a federal case, unlike Tamilin's wife, which is completely inexplicable. And um, you, the reason that that case against the Pulse nightclub shooter's wife went away is because it turned out that his father was an FBI informant.
0: Right, right. So they
1: had to drop the case.
0: What a tangled web we weave. Oh yeah, Michelle, we got to do this break for our commercial uh, sponsors. So stand, stand by. Don't go anywhere. Well, she she's in L.A. and she's under quarantine. That's by like the cool. way, not to be creepy, but we're all doing this uh, podcast in our underpants. You don't mind, do you?
1: No, that actually gives me something to think about. That's
0: nice. <laughs> yeah, well, we don't want to be creepy, and, but what... yeah.
1: Listen, that image is better than the one
0: of the homeless encampment <laughs> outside my house. <laughs> oh, thanks. Anyway, I was going to scare Michelle off, but she doesn't scare easy. So, Michelle, what are you wearing? <laughs>
1: uh, <laughs> You know what? Honestly, Mike, I had a Bruin shirt on, and I and I I threw it on by accident because I have thrown out everything that is going to make Jeremy Jacobs one penny.
0: <laughs> That's great. There you go. There's the spirit, like an Eastie. Now with the... I'm going to
1: have to become an LA Kings fan now.
0: Don't do it. Don't do it. Wait, uh, I
1: have to. I mean, you can't support the Jacobs family after what they did to their workers.
0: Well, we can't even bet online. Our sponsor is BetOnline.ag. They're from a foreign country too, just like uh, Sarnia brother. Uh, with no NBA, <laughs> it's a NHL or- comparison, and- don't do that. No, I'm just saying they're from a foreign country. They, but it's a, it's one of our friends. It is one of our yeah, friends. Thus the ag. <laughs> Good lord! Are you gonna wear a wire
1: when you bet with them? <laughs> oh,
0: yeah, I'm uh, you know, gonna bet with a with a Russian guy. Uh, there's currently no NBA, there's no NHL, no MLB. I got more happy news. <laughs> no kissing on the lips. Oh, <laughs> sure. You uh, you might think though that there's nothing to bet on. Well, guess what? You would be so wicked wrong, oh. and everything. Our exclusive partner, BetOnline.ag, they're good guys. Still has hundreds of events, games. Props to wager on all kinds of stuff from their online casino to poker and blackjack, as well. They're bringing the Vegas to you. (laughs) (laughs) Missing the NFL, (laughs) that's not a problem because Bet Online has live daily Madden NFL 20 simulations. I tell you, when I met John Madden, no, I was eating a fruit cup, I was out in LA, Los Angeles. Speaking of Los Angeles. Uh, when Fox News announced that they were going to be carrying the uh, the uh, NFL. Mm-hmm. So we went out there to meet Pat Summerall and James Brown and all those guys, and, yeah. and I get to sit down with John Madden, and I was eating a fruit cup, and I said, John, you want a strawberry? And John Madden looked at me, and he said, no. If it don't float, I don't eat it. <laughs> what the hell does that mean? Anyway, you big fat pig. Anyway, so entertainment betting uh, is also available. You can bet on Survivor, Big Brother. Is yes. there a little brother? Yeah. American Idol, stock prices. You can bet on anything. You can bet uh, even on the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest. Yeah. Well, you know, they got to make both ends meet. That's right. <laughs> Uh-oh. 24 day- hours a day, all online. Visit the website or use your mobile device. Do whatever you want. Just go to betonline.ag, your online wagering solution. That should pay the bills, huh, Michelle?
1: That should pay the bills. I like it. <laughs> now, Are we going to bet-, bet on celebrity horse? I think that's like the one thing that's going on in LA right now. No, it's so oh, it's unbelievable. so
0: bad. I, honestly, it's it's just weak. Um, you, what you, I think the best thing to bet on is uh, uh, adult movies. You know, you bet on how many minutes into the first scene will there actually be sex between two people? Seven to eight <laughs> is always your go-to. Right, seven to eight, always, always. So now, if you
1: guys just wiped through the Pornhub? That's it? It's kind of like Netflix for me, where I've wiped out every show. We've made now it all the way to just the end. Wiped out Pornhub.
0: Well, I I know that Ben has calluses on his thumb. I don't know what they're from. (laughs) Stop not from from clicking on the Tiger King. Now, Michelle, there's so many other things. Listen,
1: we've all dated a dude that we wanted to feed to a tiger. Trust me. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Um, Some of the other things that you are are uh, still plugged into on a regular basis. You know, obviously we talked about the MS13 thing, and you're on the case when it comes to that particular band of uh, of badasses. Uh, what's going on with MS-13? Because, you know, we hear the stories, oh, Long Island, you know, and Maryland. It's going on, and we know about L.A., uh, and you're saying East Boston, too?
1: Well, East. I'm writing a book right now called Operation Mean Streets, and it is about the largest takedown of MS-13 ever in the country, and it was uh, done by those guys in the North Shore Gang Task Force. And that was, a, you know, I have to say, I like, everyone knows that I like to be critical of the FBI, but the FBI does an amazing job when it comes to partnering with the gang squad cops and local law enforcement. You know, so that's yeah. a very successful task force, and, and I think very highly of it. They had a massive takedown and literally wiped MS-13 off the map. Now remember, there was. Here's the story that really gets me going, and I, I'm, I'm sure you guys will agree with me. Do you remember when the ACLU was ripping up our police commissioner Willie Gross? Yes. And they were saying, poor these poor people are being profiled in schools, and the schools are the biggest recruiting tool for MS-13.
0: Yeah, they get them these young.
1: Unaccompanied alien children. They come in, Mikey. They sit down. Next thing you know, they got some gang bang or sitting down next to them with a recruitment video. Right. At East Boston High, Chelsea High, it's outrageous. And, so and just the very, all the very threat,
0: ahead, the, the threat of, I mean, just them being around you is enough to intimidate young people into a specific kind of behavior or loyalty that they wouldn't have had otherwise without the intimidation.
1: Look, you wouldn't even believe what some of these kids really have run from horrific violence in what no part of it. Yeah. But next thing you know, someone sits down next to them at school with a picture of their naked mother tied to a chair in El Salvador. You sure you don't want to join? Yeah. And, and so and it's all happening in the schools. Wow. So Willie Gross and the BPD and the BRIC, you know, the Boston Regional Intelligence Center, they were trying to do the right thing to save those kids who really don't want anything to do with these gangs that, you know, the school administration wants to pretend doesn't exist. So they're trying to help these kids. And what does the ACLU do? Sue them for being racist. And this is the beauty of it. Right. In this ACL lawsuit they filed against the BPD, they mentioned poor so-and-so. I forget his name. Poor so-and-so, you know, one blah, 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 right? He was carrying a machete to school because he was going to help his mother cut vegetables after school with that machete <laughs> he had tucked in his pants. I heard
0: that story. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So and I, like
1: they went on and on about this poor guy and the globe ripped the Boston Police Department up. They completely ripped him apart. And then it turns out that that guy, they yeah. have him on wiretap bragging about how he snowed the immigration lawyer so let him stay in the country. Sure. Three weeks later, he chopped up a 16-year-old in Lynn, Massachusetts.
0: Yep. Now, what, what country uh, are they coming from? What countries in particular? It's,
1: it's the Northern Triangle of Central America. So um, El Salvador primarily. Honduras. Honduras and Guatemala. Yeah. The irony is, though, is that MS-13 is the most dangerous American export since the atomic bomb because it was created literally right where I am sitting at this very moment. In Westlake, Los Angeles. The I city of angels. where I lived. The city of angels. But it's it's in this neighborhood that MS-13 Began. got its start. Yeah. We, we started deporting these guys back to their native El Sal, Honduras, Guatemala, right. and an explosion of violence. Do you know right now, MS-13... Is patrolling streets with baseball bats to make sure people don't break the quarantine. I'll send you a funny video when we have
0: Oh my god.
1: So if you're like a you're like a fifty-year-old man, it's one of us is walking down the street and you're breaking the quarantine, you're gonna get spanked literally spanked by a 16-year-old member of MS-13 in the middle of the street and they videotape right. it to right. humiliate you.
0: And do they even know that they're 16? A lot, I, I understand that a lot of these folks that are in MS-13 or that are still in high school are really, they don't know when they were born or where they were born. or uh, So some of them right. are 18, they have, they 20. They don't have a date. Yeah.
1: Like they have this, the cutoff date is, you know, whatever the date is. That's, you would not believe how many kids from the Northern Triangle have the same birthday. And it just happens to be the last birthday you can have to
0: get into an American high school. Oh, I see. Right, yeah, yeah. They did just to get in. Now, you've covered so many things over your time here, and I, you know, I mean, I go back with you. You're doing radio. You're doing WRKO, and you're and you're writing for, for newspapers. And uh, is it true that your first big uh, exposure to a major crime story in Boston was the '99 mob hits?
1: Oh yeah, don't you remember that the State Tips massacre?
0: <laughs> That's right. I just I read that somewhere, and I didn't, I didn't know that you were 1995. I thought you were like uh, you know in high school then.
1: How sweet of you! No, I actually I was the first UMass Boston because the Globe Co-op program wouldn't let in the state school kids. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> and I um do you remember the guy? There used to be that old Irish guy that waved the flag in front of the Globe saying the Globe was anti-Irish. Right. Well, I joined him, and I was like, the Globe is anti-Bostonians. And they let me in to the co-op program, <laughs> so I was like the whiskey tango. I never forget walking in there for the very first time, and they literally like looked me up and down like the whiskey tango girl that I was, and, <laughs> right? And I still hold on to it. And a lot of those people didn't even pick up their paychecks, but I had such a great opportunity writing for them. I mean, it was it was well, you plus you jumped in amazing. both
0: feet. I mean, you talk about jumping right into the into the fray a little bit. Now, you, I, I'm trying to figure out a time when you've been wrong about something. And I'm going back to – let me go through a ch- quick checklist here, okay? And, you know, these have all been documented and, and a docu- part of documentaries, as a matter of fact. Aaron Hernandez, you were right. Well,
1: remember the beating, of, uh, the death threats? Yeah. I was more afraid of Patriots fans than I was of MS-13, and that is not an exaggeration at all. The vitriol, the hate, the threats, people coming to my house, come, strangers walking up to me. Calling me disgusting, threatening me. It was unbelievable. Because you
0: busted out the truth.
1: It was true. And I didn't listen it, to this day. I want to uh, reaffirm that I do not care at all about his sexuality. In fact, if you were, um, when I first moved here, I lived with Jarrett Barrios, the former Cambridge senator who passed gay marriage. Yeah. So can you imagine how stupid it is that people call me a homophobe when I'm living with Jared Barrios and his partner? Right, Like, it's absurd.
0: Yeah, right. That's ridiculous. And I've ridiculous. always, you know,
1: very publicly supported LGBT rights. But you were so basically... an absurd ex- accusation. You, this you, was about Odin Lloyd walked in on him and his and his high school boyfriend, and that's why he got killed. It is a motive to a homicide. Carry plain and simple. And what's really sad, Mikey, is think about all... I never covered that trial because I was writing my marathon book. I broke the story he was getting locked up. I think I told you this before about how my source sent me a text and it said, we're going to lock up an NFL player, head to North Attleboro. I wrote back, who? And he wrote 8-7. And I was like, Gronk? way!" <laughs>
0: Gronk. <laughs> oh, no. Not
1: Gronk. I'm like, no. He, I mean, Gronk, we, we could all say he's too hapless. <laughs> he's amazing on the field, but I don't think he's going <laughs> to be capable of, like, you know, shooting a dude in the back. So oh, then he imagine, corrected himself. Imagine what would have happened
0: if that was the story. I mean, what would have happened to you, right? So it would
1: have been in broken heart Everywhere, but yeah. I
0: mean that story. You were right on the money. You took a lot of heat for. It. I watched the documentary he, on, on Netflix. You know,
1: the Globe did stories about how, how there was stories done about what a bad reporter I was, if you recall, and how wrong I was, yep. and yep. then I was right, right?
0: Absolutely right. And you've been right on all these things, and it's like drives me nuts when people do that. Uh, I want to ask you what you think of certain things here. Uh, first of all, you know the Sarnayev death penalty situation is obviously. I think I know where you come down on this, but what, the death penalty is a thing. Uh, in in parts of america it doesn't exist and uh and there are a lot of people who are against it no matter what the person's guilty of what are your thoughts on the death penalty
1: look i want a guy like zinaev to die but you know what i'd like to see happen let him into general population you know let it let the natural course of action take its toll right
0: that's justice.
1: Like, just put that guy in gen pop and let him die the way Whitey Balder died, and I'm totally okay with it.
0: Okay. What I'm not
1: okay with is the cost of his appeal being so expensive, it's yeah. under a court seal.
0: And for how many years? You know,
1: It's been going on since he got locked up. So, right. so the cost of both of his trials, you know, his original guilt trial and then the sentencing phase, so they call the the guilt phase and then the sentencing phase. That, the cost of those trials is so expensive. They sealed it. Now, just to give you an example of what Whitey's Whitey costs the taxpayers two million bucks. Wow! Right. So imagine with the Zuniga case, with the lawyers going back and forth to yeah. Russia, and family members being put up in hotels and everything else. So expensive that the Globe, to its credit, has tried to get it with a FOIA and by suing, and it will the court will not release it. Now, every single day, I wake up and I look at Zanayev's appeal. Has anything been filed? What's going on? Mm-hmm. And the one of the only things that have been filed in his appeal is a successful motion by his taxpayer-funded defense team out of New York. So think about that. Every time they need to visit him, they fly from New York to Colorado. And who pays? They, we do. Yes. Yeah, right, right. And they successfully got the cost of his defense sealed because they didn't want it to taint the public opinion about Zanayev. Right. Because it's it's it is important a boondoggle it is big big money we're talking about Yes, this defense. Yeah.
0: right you know I've, I've often thought of the death penalty that justice is only really could only really be achieved by the victim's family if somebody like gets murdered the victim's family should be able to have they should have a be able to have a pay-per-view you know get all the money <laughs> give it to the here's what I think though when someone blows up a, a bunch of people or tries to they should die by M80s. The family should be able to tape M80s to this guy's body and light them themselves to get the pleasure and the revenge out of their system. Uh, Is that sound? Am I sick?
1: No, I'm with you, Mikey, because seriously, like even (laughs) the court officers who did an amazing job, um, the court officers who worked that case, these guys, you know, had to listen to this crap day after day after day, sitting sitting in the trial, which I did every single day. You know, he didn't have. A bit of remorse. And then his taxpayer, funded find a lawyer, will be rubbing his back, trying to make him look sympathetic. It, it really starts to weigh on you. Where are you on you? Yeah. Where on you? Hear me? Both. See how I get all. Where on you? <laughs> My bossing comes on when I'm all aggravated. That's
0: all right. Now, I want to ask you, too. Uh, lately, there's been a trend, especially with this coronavirus Uh, where where people are saying, well, let the the prisoners out, even though they're dangerous, because we don't want to subject them to the coronavirus. That's cruel and unusual punishment. So we'll just let out the prisoners. To me, that's atrocious. And lock us in. (laughs) Right. right. We we get locked into our houses while these guys get to leave the prison and go wandering around. I saw a video today on Twitter where a guy who just got let out in New York by Mayor de Blasio uh, stole some money from a a handicapped old guy right on camera— Two days after he got let out of prison, what are your thoughts on that trend?
1: Okay, so they live at thirty-five hundred prisoners out in LA. Now, like uh, you've heard me complain about the homeless in camp, I'm not exaggerating. There is a tent city outside my house. Now, I've been on a rampage with the city about this. Had a big fight. You know me. It's not like a, you know. I'll I'll sit on your doorstep if you don't call me back. Yeah. <laughs> so the the city councilor told me that the mayor has an edict. Where do you think these thirty-five hundred prisoners are going? Yeah. They're not going to go check into the Ritz. Right, right. They're going to set up a tent <laughs> on the street. No. Which is what they have. So this homeless encampment in front of my own house has grown by twenty tents, And now it's become legalized, open-air drug market. And guess who tags it? MS-13. Right. So MS-13 is selling the drugs in, they, they call it paying rent, and extorting the residents who it, it's it's absolute lunacy here. I can't hike in a park near my house called Elysian Park, which I did every day. Yeah, you'll get a citation if you hike by yourself on an empty hiking trip. They're just trying to but, keep you
0: safe, Michelle. That's all.
1: <laughs> but I have to go to my mailbox with a cluster of homeless junkies, not wearing masks, living outside. How does that make any sense?
0: Yeah, that's that's And outrageous. most of them
1: are recently released prisoners.
0: And there's no answer to that either. I mean, you, if you ask the politicians in, in Los Angeles or San Francisco, or the people living on the streets, and now I'm going to say this, Michelle, and please don't take this the wrong way, but if I had, if I moved to L.A. for some reason, I'd probably pitch a tent right out in front of your house.
1: Well, you know what, Mikey? I'd bring you out a couple of crackers and stuff in the middle
0: of the night. <laughs> crackers. All right, so. Because
1: that's you... about all I have in my house right now, because <laughs> I cannot do the line. No. At, it's no. Literally, I just went to the store right now because, you know. I need, it was absolutely essential. It's the first time the sun's come out. I go there. Right. And I told you about the blind guy that cut the line, but you would not believe <laughs> the conversations that you hear in this town. Can you believe that Drizzly doesn't deliver wine that's over $30? <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's relevant. Oh, that's crazy. Now, did you happen to see, I, I don't I don't want to t- tie up your entire night because I know you want to go walking in the park. Um the, to
1: get a $100 ticket. The, uh,
0: the, the Netflix series that's been done on the Massachusetts crime lab scandals. The, you know, the-
1: oh, isn't that a beaut? I love that.
0: <laughs> you've, been, you've been watching that on Netflix?
1: I watched it one night. It's it was a- amazing. And that's why when Deval Patrick announced that he was going to try to run for president, I laughed uproariously. Yeah. I'm, I'm like between Sonia Farrakh and Annie, what's her face?
0: Dukon du- 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 or whatever. Dukon. Dukie.
1: And do you remember what, the, you know, the one thing that they didn't do in that documentary that was relevant to me was uh, the reason she did that is because she had a crush on one of their prosecutors and wanted to, like, flirt with him by making all of his cases good.
0: Re- really? Yeah. That's even, that makes yeah, it even Andy worse.
1: What had a crush on one of the prosecutors. Wow. So she made all of his cases, like, rock solid, even if they weren't.
0: Oh, man. You know, honestly, though, this is what your calling is, is to be in charge of the content and the direction of some of these uh documentaries with the Michelle McPhee touch, with the digging of Michelle McPhee, the, the uh, intrepid reportage that you always give these stories. This is where you're going to be. This is going to be big for you out there in L.A. I'm telling you right now. <laughs> I got an idea for a movie, too. I want to make a movie about a, a guy who owned a, an X-rated movie theater in the 80s. I, I, I'll tell, tell you about it when I see you for, for dinner when you come back to Boston.
1: That is an absolute deal. I cannot wait for that.
0: I got a I movie. I am supposed to be
1: back right now. You know that.
0: Well, when are you coming
1: back? Oh, I was supposed to have a big book party last night. You were on the list, remember? But now, who knows?
0: Yeah. Oh, because oh, you're because of the virus. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, because
1: of the virus. You, who knows? You. You know. I'm gonna go. Uh, I don't know.
0: Well, you know, we we love you and we miss you, but um, we always close the podcast with a, a song that's relevant, and uh, I always do the song as Joe Castiglione. Would you like to listen to my version of this? I
1: would love that. Oh, please do that.
0: <laughs> the great Michelle McPhee has been our guest, and she's in Los Angeles, and we do love and miss her. And uh, let's, we'll get her... Next time she's on, we'll get her uh, her rating on this our karaoke version dedicated to the coronavirus. It's called my corona <laughs> here we go are you ready joe i'm right over here mike uh, i'm ready to do the song now here we go Ooh, you're all oh, a pretty one a shitty one When you're going to give me my life, Corona? Oh, you're making people sick, you little prick. When you're going to get the fuck out, (laughs) Corona? Make it fucking stop with your slop, cats and rats and monkeys. You dine in China, Wuhan. Oh, holy cow, do you believe it? Ow! My Corona. My, 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 Corona. Come a little closer. People die because you lied, killing older folks. It's no joke. You're killing the economy with what you gave to me. Why, 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 Corona? Can you believe it? <laughs> my, 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 oh yeah. My, Corona. Give me hydrochloroquine so I can win. I don't want an ICU. My corona! I'm an asshole.
1: That was awesome. <laughs> oh,
0: Michelle. Next thanks. time
1: I'll have to tell you the story about the Harvard professor who has something to do with coronavirus.
0: Oh, oh God. Are you kidding? Let's get to that right away. while Me? Read my
1: story in Newsweek called Lurking Giants. There's way more to it. Thank you guys so much, honestly. Thanks for showing. I'll send you another cake. I'll send you another cake. Oh, don't do that, honestly. I don't need cake. I I have the quarantine 15 already. It only took two days.
0: (laughs) You you can leave it out front for MS 13. Maybe they can have it. (laughs)